Well, this is the second week of Advent as we celebrate and look forward to the first coming of Jesus Christ with great anticipation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We said the word Advent, is, it simply means coming. And this is a special time for us. Uh, again, as we think to the past, we see what God's doing in the present, but we have great anticipation for the future. I said uh, I wanted this time, this month, to be kind of like the old Kellogg's Corn Flakes commercial. If you weren't here last week, uh, you may recall back in the 80s and 90s those commercials uh, where the slogan for Kellogg's Corn Flakes was, taste them again for the first time. And that's what my prayer is for us, right? Let's taste Christmas again for the first time here at Cedar Street. And so we have been turning our attention to the Advent wreath. This is an opportunity through every Sunday, every week of Advent, uh, that we look at another theme uh, that Jesus Christ has made possible through His first coming and that He will consummate in His second coming. And last week we looked at hope. We all need hope. Well, this week we're going to look at peace. We're going to look at peace. And the title of our message here this morning is The Light of God's Peace. As we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. And you know, peace is something we all desire. But it's something that we struggle to find. And the reason why is this. It's a God-sized problem that requires a God-sized solution. And a lot of times we look for uh, cheap ways to find something that only God can give us. We have to appeal to the highest authority to deal with our highest problem. You know, I thought about this as I was preparing the message. Back when I was in uh, high school in the mid-90s, my high school in Philadelphia was a little bit behind the times in terms of their facilities. They all, they had a beautiful renovation the year I graduated. Uh, But one of the things that we were slow to catch up with was central heating and air conditioning. And I know everybody in this room who's my senior says, you don't know how bad I had it. Well, we had a huge building. I went to a very big high school, but we did not have central heating and air conditioning and our windows did not open. And so in our school system, we had these huge industrial fans that they would tote into the rooms in the summertime and it would be blazing hot. Uh, But the funny thing about it is every single year, and this happened for several years, when they had student council elections, the candidates for student council would stand up and say, vote for me, and I'm going to get us windows that open. In fact, one year, a girl went up there with a window. She said, vote for me, and this is going to happen. And she opened the window, and she closed the window. And you know what would happen? Every year, you'd vote for your candidate, and every year, the windows would still be shut. And the reason why is this, and Brother Ronnie knows this, and, and Bubba and John know this, If you want to make a permanent change to the infrastructure of a public school building, you need to appeal to a higher office. Student council was not going to get that type of change made. And I say that as we turn our eyes to this word peace. Peace is something we long for. And the reason that we don't have it is sin. And it's sin that has separated us from the God who created us and the God who loves us and the God who desires to commune with us. And so if we don't have peace, it's a God-sized problem. And it requires a God-sized solution. And that solution was promised to us many years ago. And that's, that, that promise is what we're going to look at here today as we turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. And before we read the big idea... I want to say that uh, last week, 
we lit the candle of hope, and I hope it will light again. Oh boy, running out of hope here. All right, but today, in the second week of Advent, we light the candle of peace. And as we do that, I read our big idea as we look at Isaiah chapter 9. The light of God's peace comes to us through His Son who saves us and His Spirit who changes us. The light of God's peace comes to us through His Son who saves us and His Spirit who changes us. So if you would join me at this time by turning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6-7. through If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you. We're on page 680 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time under the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient Word. Again, we're in Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 7. Hear God's Word to us through His servant, the prophet Isaiah. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon His shoulder. And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are a restless bunch of people made in your image, constantly seeking for peace. It is a God-sized problem, but you have offered us a God-sized solution in Christ. It's hard to see, Lord. It's really hard to see here at Christmas. We're in a thousand different directions As we gather together with family members, we're reminded of conflict that's not been resolved and people who we dearly miss who've gone on to be with you. It's hard. But even in the midst of all that we deal with, you offer us peace because it comes from you. Lord, help us to press into that today. Help us to hear this promise. Help us to taste this again for the first time. Help us to see the light of your peace. In Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. You know, the book of Isaiah is one of the most polarizing books of the Old Testament. If you've ever tried to read it, first of all, it's one of the major prophets because it's a big book. There's a lot of chapters in Isaiah. And it's one of those books, again, that's not written chronologically, it's written thematically. And so, the things that you're reading are not always in chronological order and it can be really confusing. And I don't want to get into a history lesson on Isaiah. I want to get right after the, the main idea about peace here. I'll just say that this particular chapter in Isaiah chapter 9 is written in the 700s B.C. We don't know exactly when, but it's very close to the book, the book we looked at last week, Micah. So we are looking at seven centuries before the coming of Jesus Christ. And just like last week, We saw this prophecy in Micah that there was going to be a Savior that was born in Bethlehem in the district of Ephrathah, who would be of the line of David and the tribe of Judah. Four-part promise made 700 years before he came, and he fulfilled it to a T. 
Here's another promise seven centuries before he shows up. And this is a prophecy not just of where he's going to be born, not just of what tribe he's going to be in, but of what he's going to be known for. And you see all these wonderful descriptions of this child that will be given to us. All right, it says he's wonderful counselor, he's mighty God, he's everlasting father, he's prince of peace. Now, we could spend a Sunday on each one of those. Maybe one year we will do that. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to zero in on Jesus Christ as our, our Prince of Peace because not only is it what He's named for, it says in the next verse, in verse 7, of His increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. This is what we're promised. And yet you and I who claim to know Jesus and have Him living inside of us through the Holy Spirit, well, we would say... We still face conflict every day. So what does it mean when it says that he's going to govern the universe and of his peace there will be no end? Because it, it doesn't seem like we have that peace. Well, we have to understand it as God has revealed it to us in the Word. So I, I want to define peace in this world. Okay, We need to understand this. Peace, according to the Bible, while we're still in this world, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the relational presence of God in all situations. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the relational presence of God in all situations. You say, prove it to me, Bo. I say, all right. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 does not say that there's a shepherd that guides the sheep in places where there is no conflict. No, what does it say in Psalm 23, verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for why? You are with me. How is it that a person who is in the valley of the shadow of death can still lie down in greed pastures and be led by still waters? It's not because they avoided the valley. They're going through the valley but they're going through the valley with God. And that's a peace that transcends understanding. And that's a peace that's offered to you today. And you and I need to press into that, and I'm going to talk about how we can do that. But I want you to hang on to that definition of peace while we're still in this world. Now, there is a peace to come. The internal peace is going to become external eventually, but we're not there yet. So as we think through the peace of God, I want to look at God's peace in three dimensions. Maybe you've never thought of it this way, but I pray that after you leave today, you're going to think about peace this way. We're going to look at peace from God, peace with God, and the peace of God. Okay? This is God's peace in three dimensions. So let's look, number one, at peace from God through His Son. Peace from God through His Son. As we look at verse 6, for to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and here it is, Prince of Peace. All true and lasting peace begins and ends with Jesus Christ, end of discussion. It begins and ends with Jesus. If the issue that we have is sin, that's a God-sized problem. We need a God-sized solution, and we need somebody who has a hand in both worlds, who has a hand in heaven and a hand on earth, someone who is God and who is man, who understands the holiness of God, who understands the sin of man, and makes a way between the two. And it has to be Jesus, and that's the promise 
that is made. Jesus made a sweet promise to us. We looked at it earlier this year in the upper room. What did he say to his disciples in John 14, 27? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus says, if you want true lasting peace, it's a peace that comes from God. Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Hear me clearly. If you are not a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, who has bent your knee, confessed with your tongue that He is Lord, and believed in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, if you've not received His Holy Spirit, you are not an heir of His promise. And you'll never experience the peace that He offers. You can't. You can do the best. You can try and resolve conflict. You can read books. You can change your personality. You can be a positive thinker. You can do all of those things, but you'll never have peace from the outside in. It's got to be from the inside out. And it starts with Jesus. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And again, how is this possible? Because in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, There is only one God, and there is only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He is the only one who can bring us peace. Again, because He is fully God, looking down at man, and He's fully man, looking up at God, so that He took the hand of man and the hand of God, and He reunited us on the cross. We'll talk in a second a little bit further on how He did that. But he's the only one who can. Again, you looked at the Lottie Moon video and you saw the other religions that make these false idols and leave worship you know, offerings for them each day trying to make peace with God. Peace has to start from God. To make peace with God, it has to first come from God. And God the Father said, I'm going to send my Son to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. It has to come from Jesus. Now here... Here's where it gets interesting. There's a verse in the Gospel of Matthew that sounds like the complete opposite of this, but it's not. Jesus says himself in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. And you're like, whoa, 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 you're the Prince of Peace. He says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be of their own household. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, you're the Prince of Peace. You came down to, to give us this beautiful peace that we could experience a lack of conflict and resolution here on earth. And Jesus is saying, not right now. Right now, peace is going to work its way from the inside out. And when it does, and you become a Christian, and you are no longer of this world, you are not going to have peace with this world. And he says, even in your own family, if you catch fire for Jesus, and the person sleeping in the next bedroom next to you doesn't, there's going to be conflict. And you know why? Darkness doesn't like light. Jesus is the light of the world. That's the whole title of our sermon series. And when he brought light into this world, the darkness rejected the light. And so we have to understand as we seek the peace that Jesus offers, we are going to be enemies of the world. Now, I'll say at the end of our message, there's still things we can do to seek peace 
to the ability that we are able to in our own situations. But make no mistake about it, if you live for Christ and you love Him and you shine that light, you are not going to have outward peace with the world because darkness hates light. Don't turn on the news and be surprised. Do not be surprised that if you are a Christian, that the world does not want to seek peace with you. So again, we need to acknowledge first that peace from God through His Son is where it all starts. And that leads us to our second dimension. Number two, let's look at peace with God through His salvation. So, so far I've been saying the only one that can do it is Jesus. He's the only one that can take care of this God-sized problem. He's the God-man, fully God, fully man. He's God looking at man. He became a man looking up at God, and He took those, the hands of God and hands of man and, and reconciled them on the cross. But how did He do it? Well, I want to say as you look at verse 7, it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You say, well, how is this peace happening? Well, before there can be outward peace, there has to be the inward peace. You must be right with God. It has to start with your relationship with God. And we go back to the Garden of Eden to a world that had peace. And why was there peace in the Garden? Because Adam and Eve were in right relationship with their Creator. Where did they lose peace? Sin. They were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the forbidden fruit. They ate of the fruit, rejected the authority of God. God ejected them from the garden. And because of that, they did not have peace with God. And when you do not have peace with God, it is absolutely impossible to experience peace in a, in, with the world or with anybody else because that's what your soul needs more than anything else and again as we get deeper into this you're going to see if you have peace with God you can endure anything else because at a foundation level what you need more than anything else is to be right with your creator and the reason why is this that's why you are on planet earth you say I you know I've had all, over the years that I've been a youth pastor I've had so many previous youth call me when they got to college and say, Mr. Bo, I don't know God's purpose for me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do for a living. I don't know what my major should be. All those questions are important. And we should ask them and pray about them. But God's will for your life is to have an eternal love relationship with Him. And it can only happen through Christ. It can only happen through Jesus Christ. Now, how does He do it? Well, it's what I like to call the great exchange. Jesus had to do two important things for us to be saved. Okay, The first thing He had to do is what He did for His first 33 years on earth. Day by day, He had to come, just like this passage said, as a child, and He had to become one of us. And once He became one of us, He had to live our life for us to be perfect where we failed. Jesus had to grow up under the leadership of a carpenter. He had to he'd come out of the womb of Mary and be nurtured by Mary. He had to learn the ways of Nazareth and learn the carpentry business. And he had to every single day in every single way, through his thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes, he had to be perfect because you're not, because I'm not. He was earning our righteousness. He was being perfect on our behalf because you and I cannot be, and yet at the same time when we die and stand before God, that is how we are going to be judged. God is holy and will not let His kingdom be compromised by a speck of sin. 
So Jesus, day by day for 33 years, got out of bed and spoke righteousness because you needed it. Thought righteous thoughts because you needed it. Dealt with people in righteousness because you needed it. Not because He needed it. He did it for us. He earned our perfection. He earned our righteousness so that by the time it came for Easter and the Jews said, put Him on the cross. And Pontius Pilate handed down the sentence and there was the trade for Barabbas the criminal and he is put on the cross. He is able to take the cross for us because he is the perfect sacrifice. He's the spotless Passover lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and that's the second thing he did. Not only did he earn our righteousness, he took on our punishment. As I tell my daughter, he took our spanking. And she keeps arguing with me that he's taken every spanking and I don't need to spank her anymore. (laughs) Pretty sharp for a six-year-old. No, there's still spankings here on earth. Our eternal spanking at judgment he took for us. It says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're a Christian and hear me clearly, you've got to think more about this. Part of the reason that you don't have peace is you don't even know the promises that are made. You've got presents sitting under the tree you haven't opened. The number one present you should open if you're a Christian is you'll never face the wrath of God ever. He took it for you on Calvary's cross. That's what He did. There's one verse that captures everything I just said perfectly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If you ever hear people say, you know, what's the good news? What's the gospel? There's a few verses that have the whole gospel captured. This is one of them. You ought to memorize it if you haven't already. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. People call that the great exchange. God said, I love you so much, I sent my son. And Jesus comes and says, I love you so much, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my perfection and I'm going to take your punishment and so that God will reward you for what I've done. And when you stand before him at judgment, God will look at you and declare, perfect, because of Jesus. It's a gift and you receive it by grace through faith. That's exactly what he did for us. That is the great exchange. Now, In His first coming, He did all that and then He rose from the dead on Easter morning. And when He rose from the dead, that was a sign that the Father accepted the sacrifice. And so when Jesus said, it is finished, everything necessary for your salvation is secure. And so when you believe in Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, guess what? Now you have peace with God. You can't earn it and you can't lose it. Now, one thing you can do all right? You can put barriers up to enjoying it when you're living in sin. When you're living in sin and you refuse to repent of that sin and you know you're in a lifestyle or you know you've made decisions that don't honor God, let me just say something. You haven't lost His love and you haven't lost His salvation. What you've lost is intimacy. What you've lost is the experience of that peace. Again, the present's already under the tree, but when you're living in sin, you're not going to be able to open the gift. You're not going to experience that peace. So some of you right now, I would just say this. If you are in a season of great turmoil, of course, there's a lot of external factors, but you have to begin with this. Am I living right with God? 
Is there some type of sin in my life that I've not confessed to him? Is there something I need to make right with somebody else? Is there something that I need to, to lift before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry, I need your help. I want to turn away from this. If you know there is, I plead with you as your pastor and friend, make it right with God this Christmas. You'll have no greater gift than to taste the peace of God that has already been provided for you in Christ. It's already been provided for you. Now, this, this peace on the inside, make no mistake about it, one day, one day it will be peace on the outside. It's not there yet. You and I live in a world of conflict. You're, not, you're never going to turn on WTOC and hear an anchor say, well, today in Savannah, everything was perfect. People were walking the streets, hugging and shaking hands, and it was just perfect from start to finish. No, on this side of heaven, there will be death. There will be suffering. There will be conflict, and the reason why is peace hasn't made its way in for everyone, and it won't. But for those of you that have peace on the inside because you're right with God and you have the Holy Spirit, one day upon the second coming of Christ, remember we said Christmas is remembering His first coming, anticipating His second coming. The second coming, He's going to take all the internal peace and make it an external kingdom forever. Right now, the kingdom of God is within you. One day the kingdom of God will be all around you and there will be peace and I cannot wait for that day. I, you know, I'll just say this. I, I'm a peacemaker. It's my nature. I hate conflict. I try to resolve conflict. Uh, I take great joy in God using me to resolve conflict and yet at the same time, it's like I put out one fire and there's three more. And I'm around people that have no desire to resolve conflict. They have a desire to be heard. They have a desire to put themselves before everything else. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting some days. But I have hope. I have hope that every person that I experience conflict with, if they're a believer, I'm going to taste that in heaven with them forever. You know, there's a scene in the movie that we watched on Sunday nights this year called Jesus of Nazareth. And the scene is, uh, is not, you're not going to find chapter and verse on the exact scene. It's kind of a poetic license of the director. But there's a scene that I love. And it's a scene where Jesus is teaching inside Matthew, the tax collector's home. And the apostle Peter is standing at the doorway. And of course, Peter and Matthew arch enemies because Matthew was a tax collector trying to get all the taxes from Peter who was trying to catch enough fish to pay the taxes. And there's this scene in the movie where words are not even spoken, but Jesus is teaching on the prodigal son and then all of a sudden Peter comes into the room and Matthew comes over and Jesus takes their hands and he brings them together and Peter puts his hand on Matthew's heart. And Matthew puts his hand over Peter's hand. And there's beautiful reconciliation. Can I say, it may not happen till heaven. All right? It may not happen to heaven. Maybe you have conflict with someone right now and it's just not going to get resolved. Or you had conflict with someone and they went on to be with the Lord before you could resolve it. Well, take a deep breath. The first hour of heaven for you and I is going to be a mixture of worship and reconciliation. And God is going to take all these people we've had conflict with and He's going to bring us together. And He's going to find joy in watching us embrace each other because there will be no more conflict. Jesus will be at the center of everything. That will be true in eternal peace made possible by Jesus. I can't wait for that day. 
All right, so we've talked about peace from God, beginning with Christ, peace with God through the salvation made possible by Christ. Third and finally, peace of God through His Spirit. You say, okay, Bo, I acknowledge it comes from Jesus. I've already repented and put my faith in Christ. I've been saved. Do I just wait till heaven and I can't taste any peace now? No. You can have peace now like you've never experienced it regardless of what is happening around you. And it's because Jesus is in you through His Spirit. He's in you through His Spirit. When it says again in verse 7, of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. Again, it's already started and if you're a Christian, it's inside of you and you can play a role in this. You can press into this. You can enjoy this in a way that the world can't. And you know how I know this? Another famous passage, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. It's amazing how many of the spiritual aspects of spiritual fruit are part of the, the uh, Advent wreath. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's produced internally by the power of God and His Spirit. And that's why you can have peace when everything is crumbling around you, when God who's inside of you becomes bigger than the problem that surrounds you. The more you grow in intimacy with God, the more you can have peace no matter what happens. It's amazing. It's a gift. It has to be open and we have to surrender to it. You know, it's kind of like this. When I was working in uh, baseball in the Florida State League, uh, back in 2003, 2004, 2005. Uh, the Florida State League and part of minor league baseball had a contract with Econo Lodge. Has anybody ever stayed in one of these first class facilities? <laughs> right? I knew almost every city I was going to, I was going to stay in an Econo Lodge. All right? I want you to picture this world like an Econo Lodge. Okay, as you walk into each room, you don't know exactly what you're going to expect, but you can expect it's not going to be the Hilton. All right, there were spiders in the bathtub, there were eyelashes on the pillowcases. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I don't know how some per person could lose that many eyelashes in one night, but I remember pulling the <laughs> sheets back and thinking this is not going to be fun. You got one of those. Uh, Air conditioning units the size of a small spaceship, and when you turn it to 68 degrees and wake up, your throat's about as dry as the Mojave Desert, and you pay $10 for a can of soda. It's, um, it's an interesting experience. How could I walk into one of those hotel rooms and see the picture's crooked on the wall, the headboard is fake and screwed into the wall, uh, the sheets are not exactly clean, the room is loud, and the neighbor's even louder? How do I get through that? Because I know the moment I lay down, it's not my home. And I could have peace knowing it's just a place to lay my head and I'm one day closer to laying in my own bed again. Can I tell you, that's how God wants you to see this world right now. To get worked up over the things happening in this world is the equivalent of getting worked up and trying to rearrange the furniture in the Econo Lodge when you're only going to be there one night. I mean, it's amazing the things that we get worked up over. But the more that you have your eyes focused on where your home truly is, the more that you can have peace where you're visiting, even if nothing is peaceful around you. Now, that does not mean while you're in the hotel room, you don't kill the spiders. 
All right? I, I didn't smile and say, well, that's great that there's a small family of spiders in my bathtub. I'm glad they're having fun. No, I killed the spiders. So you and I, as we face conflict in this world, we're called to be what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You and I are called to be light in darkness. We're called to resolve conflict in a broken world. But we can have peace. We can have peace even when we can't resolve the conflict. And it's because our eyes are beyond this world to our true home. Again, I'm not just trying to be poetic. I'm being literal. I hate conflict. And sometimes it will drive me to insanity when somebody is upset with me and I can't make it right. And I've just learned that's the way it's going to be. I can do my very best. I can admit where I've fallen short. But there's just some people that I'll just never have reconciliation with. How do I get through that? I'm already picturing what I'm going to be like with them in heaven. There's not one person who knows Christ that I will not be reconciled to as brother and sister forever in the kingdom. And that helps me get through that right now. And I want that to help you get through it right now. You can rest peacefully in the Econo Lodge because the Hilton's not far away. So as we draw to a close, let me sum this up in one sentence. And I'm going to leave you with something practical. All right, in one sentence. As the light of God's peace came in Christ's first coming, let's continue in God's peace until Christ's second coming. Again, as the light of God's peace came in Christ's first coming, let's continue in God's peace until Christ's second coming. So maybe you're saying, you know, Bo, I love what you're saying. I am a Christian. I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I need more help. I need more help to get me through right now. I need more help to get me through Christmas. I need more help to get me through this season. I don't have peace with other people. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with my physical condition. It could be a financial situation. I need peace. I want to taste it before Christ comes back. Is there anything I can do? Make this practical. What can I do on December 4th, 2022? Well, God is a practical God. He's not just giving us these principles. He gives us ways to practice these principles. And this is the first passage of Scripture I ever memorized as a Christian. Now, I still need to read it because I memorized it in the NIV. And now I've become an ESV man. Well, I'm a Bible man. I love all translations. But uh, I'm going to read it to you in the ESV. But if you say, Bo, make it practical, here it is. If you remember this passage, you can take it home and practice it and have more peace this Christmas than you've ever had. Okay? Philippians chapter 4 starting in verse 4 through verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. You're like, well, great. I already failed that one. All right, but now he says how to avoid anxiety. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here it is, verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that's half the equation. You have anxiety and a lack of peace, name it in prayer. Name it in prayer. God, this is exactly what I have anxiety over. I'm struggling with this. I'm leaving this at your feet. And it says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. All right, so what do I do until he resolves it? Well, 
verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what does it say? And the God of peace will be with you. You say, Bo, how can I see the light of God's peace this Christmas? Here's the answer. You get honest in prayer. You confess your sins. And you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're going to get rid of sin, you need to replace it with thoughts that honor Him. Thoughts that create peace. You know, something I've been doing, again, this is not biblical, you know, in the Bible, but when I'm in a room, in the past couple of weeks, when I'm in a room, I, if I feel any anxiety over something, I try quietly, quickly, without procrastinating on it, because I'm known to procrastinate. If there's something anxious, I nail it when it's a thought before it becomes lodged in my heart. God, I'm really anxious about this today. And then I, th- I replace it with another thought that brings me peace. And then I even, if I'm in my home or if I'm in my office, I'm even putting music in the background, soft background music that cultivates peace. I'm filling myself with what it is that I desire God to do in my life. I'm not sitting on my hands and I'm also not filling my mind with conflict. I'm not watching the news for two hours. I may read news headlines for five minutes so I know what's going on. You can know all you need to know in five minutes or less by reading it instead of watching it. And then I'm filling my mind with God's Word. And I'm thinking about His promises of heaven. And I'm clinging to that promise that He's going to do something in me He's never done. I'm praying this Christmas I'm going to taste the peace of God which transcends all understanding. He has to do that in me, but I have to surrender to that. And I do it by praying over everything I'm anxious about. And until he works that out, I replace it with thoughts of peace. You know, make a list of things that bring joy to your heart and think about such things. You do that while God's busy working on you and you watch and see how you and I can experience the light of God's peace. Now, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ right now, you're standing outside and you're listening to everything I'm saying and it's like looking through the window at a steakhouse. You can see the steak being cut. You can smell it, but you'll never taste it until you step into the steakhouse. And the only way to do that is to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone who lived perfectly for you. He died sacrificially for you. He rose supernaturally for you. He ascended heavenly to send down His Holy Spirit for you. And as we light that candle, we remember His first coming, but we even anticipate His second coming. He's coming back. And He will make all things new. To the one who tells the waves to be still, He can tell your heart to do the same thing this Christmas. Let's lean in together to the peace of God's, the light of God's peace. Let's pray. Father, I I don't want this to be pie in the sky. I don't want this to be poetic and feel good and something that just comes and goes before we get to lunch. Peace is right here. It's right here. It's in your word. It's in your spirit. It's in your people. It's in your church. And it's available. 
you're working that out. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a promise that you'll do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We acknowledge peace comes from you. And then through Christ, we have peace with you. And then through your Spirit, we have peace that is birthed of you. I pray that for myself and I pray that for everybody in this room that as the world around us is crumbling, we have a peace of God that transcends all understanding. May we have that right now through your Son and your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen.